Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Cleveland.com. Today is another one of those Football Insider Zoom days. The podcast you're going to hear today was our season preview that we held with our Football Insider subscribers on Wednesday night. So you're going to get to hear us talk about Baker Mayfield. We're going to answer questions uh, about all things David Njoku, the Browns record. We make predictions for the season. Uh, all of that good stuff, it's about an hour long, so that's what you're going to hear today. Now, if you want to get involved in Football Insider, it's more than just Zoom calls. That's one of the benefits, but you get texts from me, Mary Kay, Scott, and Ellis throughout the day, news, analysis, uh, what we're thinking about a certain topic. Maybe we interviewed somebody and we want to throw something out that was really interesting to us, so you get that. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that does not appear any place else on the website. Football Insider is $3.99 per month, but you can get a 14-day free trial, and this is the perfect time to try it out. The season is starting. We're doing all kinds of great things on top of the texting. We're going to have a post-game show exclusive to our subscribers. We're going to have a subscriber on every week helping us pick games. So now's the time to get on, try it out, get involved, and see if it's something you want to do. And all you have to do to start is text 216-208-3965, and you start a 14-day free trial. You can also get more information if you go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a box on the right side of the page. You can get signed up there. But again, one text, 216-208-3965, will get you started. Now, here is our season preview Zoom call with our Football Insider subscribers. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Browns season preview Zoom with our Football Insider subscribers. Uh, we already have a pretty good number in here, which, which is great because obviously this was all sort of thrown together very quickly. So, so a lot of really good response here as all of you uh, have joined us. I'm going to real quickly introduce our panel, and then we're going to get right into it. Uh, so let's start here. Terry Pluto joining us. Terry, how are you? We also have Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. Scott Patsko is here and we can hear him. Scott? Yes, finally. <laughs> <laughs> and Ellis Williams joining us as well. Ellis, how are you? What's up? Let's have some fun. All right. So uh, you're all welcome to jump in on video if you want us to see you. You don't have to. It's certainly not required. Uh, looks like David Strong is already having a good time wherever he is. Uh, but anyway, we want to make this about you guys. So I've got some topics written down that we can talk about and we're gonna get into some predictions and things like that. But I, I wanna know what you guys wanna talk about. So 
we can spend the whole time answering your questions if you want. So if, if you have questions, all you have to do is click on that participants button on the bottom if you're on a laptop and there should be a raise hand feature uh, that'll allow you to raise your hand and ask a question and we'll call on you and uh, you can ask us your question on video or just on audio, whatever you wanna do. Uh, or if you're on your phone, there's three dots on the bottom. So if you click on that, I believe that's what brings up uh, your raise hand feature. So um, if you guys have questions, uh, you can certainly feel free to, to fire away because we wanna know what you guys wanna talk about um, instead of just listening to us talk the whole time. But uh, until we start getting those questions, until those hands start raising, we're, we're just gonna start here because I think this is the question on top of everyone's minds as, as the Browns go into this season. Baker Mayfield. We've talked over and over again about Baker Mayfield. Um, but now here we are. There's going to be football tomorrow. The Browns are going to play on Sunday. It gets real. Expectations for Baker Mayfield. Mary Kay, I will start with you. What, what are you expecting from Baker here in, in 2020? Well, first of all, I'm expecting him to have some growing pains early on. We saw it in camp. We saw it in the scrimmage. I was a little... Uh, concerned about the fact that uh, he took the first team offense against the second team defense and struggled against uh, Case Keenum, who was with the second team offense and did better against the first team defense. Uh, that concerned me a little bit. It showed me uh, that Baker might have some growing pains in the first quarter of the season. The very first time we're going to see him live, the very first time he can get sacked, the very first time we know if Jedrick Wills Jr. can protect him, uh, uh, from the blind side is going to be on Sunday against the Ravens. I think it's not going to be a well-oiled machine right off the bat. I think he will get better as the season goes along. Uh, but I think people should temper their enthusiasm just a tiny bit in the early going. Terry, what do you think? Well, big thing will be, can he uh, make basically adapt to uh, the system Stefanski has and, and keep his ego in check a little bit, because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, Zabanski uh, likes to say one thing, you know, a completion is not a bad thing. If it's, even if it's short, let's say it's, you know, second and seven, you throw a four yard, you know, whatever, just do that instead of trying to heave the ball in the double coverage. Uh, in terms of like, he lost the weight, he seems to be focused. These are things that I, I know they wanted from him. But I also know too, and, and Dan, you, you guys are out there a lot more, but even that one day that I was out there with you, you could tell he was really struggling, like with where people were supposed to be, where the ball was supposed to go, and this is, uh, you know, going to be a product of that. I already, I was just found, I already got some emails. Was well, it two or three games before they go to Case Keenum? I'm like, ah, oh, not that already. <laughs> well, it, it wouldn't be a Brown season without it. Scott, what what are you expecting from Baker here? Uh, my expectations are less is more. We're going to see uh, less of. Less of Baker Mayfield throwing the ball this year. I think that's something everybody should kind of expect. Kirk Cousins uh, last year with Stefanski, his attempts dropped by over 100. He was down at like 400 and 440 attempts. Baker was at about 100 more than that last year. So I think Baker's probably going to go down there. But the goal here with Stefanski's offense is to make him more efficient. Um, so he'll have less, less opportunity to make mistakes this year. I think that's, 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 that's a positive. Uh, whether or not he's more efficient, we'll have to wait and see. We haven't, I mean, Kevin Stefanski hasn't even seen this team in, in action yet. So um, we have to find out on Sunday. The other thing is I, I'm expecting Baker to have a little more faith in his offensive line this year. Ran himself into a lot of trouble. Uh, he's got two new tackles 
And I know that, you know, Jedrick Wills is a rookie, um, but I got to think that he's going into this season with more confidence there than he did last year. Ellis? Yeah, for me, it's pretty simple. There's a, a benchmark for this, a blueprint, uh, whether you're Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, or Jimmy Garoppolo, the, the zone scheme that and play-action-heavy concepts that Kemp's fans are going to put in. I think Baker's got to throw about 68% completion percentage, completing those balls. He's career is around 61, I think, and last year he was uh, 59 or something like that. So not good numbers. He really needs to crank those up, but the point is the system should allow that. Um, another thing I think is really important, single-digit interceptions. Uh, Kirk Cousins only threw five last year. There's not many reasons to turn the ball over in this offense that Kevin Spansky is laying out for Baker Mayfield. And then 25 or more passing touchdowns. I expect the Browns to be a much more efficient red zone team with Baker having one-on-one options, whether it's Austin Hooper or Odell Beckham Jr. They're going to get guys open there. So a complete 68% of your balls are better, single-digit interceptions, and 25-plus touchdowns. The, the, the benchmark's there, the blueprint's there, and he still has to go out and do it. But there's been quarterbacks before him who have done this, and he has – all the skill set to do it, if not the most talented quarterback physically of those three I named. Okay, well, let's jump off this topic here right away. Maybe we'll circle back to Baker, but we've gotten some questions. And again, you can raise your hand uh, with the raise hand function, or you can jump in the chat. And this is where we got our first two questions here. This one comes from Tyson. Uh, he wants to know the impressions of the new left tackle, Jedrick Wills, and should there be concerns early on? Uh, Mary Kay, we'll start with you. We, we haven't gotten a super close look at Jedrick, but it also hasn't always been great uh, when we've had a chance to see him. A, a lot of uh, a very steep learning curve as he moves from the right to the left side, has to do it at the NFL level. He's going against guys like Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett in practice. Uh, where, where are you right now with Jedrick Wills? Do you think he's ready to be out there in week one? Well, he has to be ready to be out there in week one because they are absolutely 100% rolling with him. But once again, uh, there are going to be growing pains with Jed Wills, and those growing pains will start on Sunday. You know that, uh, that the Ravens are going to take full advantage of the fact uh, that they have a new left tackle over there. They know uh, that, that he's not uh, you know, experienced. They know he's moving from right to left. They're going to try to confuse him. They're going to try to rattle him. Uh, they've got some veteran guys on their defensive line. They will blitz. They will do whatever it takes to get him off of his game. So, therefore, you know, I don't know that they're going to be uh, dropping back and throwing it a ton this game. I think they're going to uh, be a little bit cautious with their game plan uh, to see what Jed is up for. He'll be better as a run blocker in the early going. But Joe Thomas put it in perspective when I talked to him last week about Jed Wills. He said, you know, he, he would not have been able to imagine starting off his career like this with no OTAs, uh, no mini camps, and no preseason games. He relayed the story of how a coach came up to him after his 15th OTA practice and said, I can't put you out there. You're going to get our quarterback hurt. And basically that was the end of training camp for Jed Wills. 15, there were only 14 padded practices. Uh, Joe Thomas says he wasn't happy with this film until about midway through the season. So I think everyone has to kind of temper their enthusiasm about Jed. Uh, Joe still thinks he's got Pro Bowl potential. Uh, but I think people will need to be patient. Scott, you talked to Joe Thomas too. <laughs> Get us a little caught up on what he told you back uh, around draft time. Yeah, I talked to him uh, a bit before uh, Mary Kay, and it was a little different scenario. And one of the things he did point out, though, is that while he had confidence that Jedrick Wills could move uh, 
from the right to the left. He had confidence in, in any of the guys that the Browns were uh, projected to pick, but he did point out that he felt that that was something that was doable. Um, and then, of course, you know, you had nothing going on in the offseason. So I don't know if <laughs> his, uh, his philosophy of that being able to happen quickly and having enough time to do it would have held up, but, you know, he had the confidence. The other thing he pointed out is that this offensive scheme is one where you can kind of hide somebody who maybe uh, isn't up to the standards of everybody else on the offensive line. And I think when I got into that with Joe Thomas, it was more about Wyatt Teller. Um, but the fact that, you know, you have that rookie trying to figure things out on the end, the scheme is a little different. You know, it's your run blocking more. There's more play action, which also helps him out. You're not going to have him out on an island. You're not going to see Baker Mayfield taking seven step drops and, you know, having four receivers try to get open 20 yards downfield. It's, it's a totally different scenario this year. So if you do have a rookie left tackle trying to figure things out early in the season, this offense seems like a, a good place to do it. Terry, are you concerned at all about Jedrick starting week one? Yes, I am. You cannot hide a left tackle, number one. But I have to admit, I'm, I'm like stuck on the Baker Mayfield thing. Ellis, what did you say? He was supposed to do what now? You want, you want all three of those again? Yes, because I have a line. Yeah, okay. 68% um, completion percentage or better, single-digit interceptions, and 25 or more passing touchdowns. It, all right. If he does that, I might grow hair. I mean, that, <laughs> that would be like a remarkable achievement that cannot say – just being that, and I hope you're right, because that is exactly what they want to do in that offense. But will he submit himself, frankly, and his ego to do that? And also, will he be strong enough? Well, you know, Odell Jarvis, to, hey, throw it downfield, get it to me. Uh, so that's going to be fun to watch. It really is. I love those. Hey, if they do that, they can win nine or ten games if he does that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That, that's the formula. And that's, and again, I, got, I, I have those numbers there just based on Garoppolo, Cousins and Tannehill who run wide zone. Go look at their, their seasons. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm just saying there's a, the ego factor. And, and then also, um, you, the thing too, the left tackle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss that to somebody else. I'm not an offensive line expert. Yeah, so, so, so I, I actually, uh, shameless plug here, I got a story coming out in the morning on how the Browns can um, manufacture a, a nice debut for Jedrick on Sunday. Um, first and foremost, I think it's most important to avoid Calais Campbell, the Ravens' new addition from Jacksonville. Uh, he's 13 years older than Jedrick, uh, 88 career sacks, uh, and six foot eight, so four inches taller than Jedrick, also. And knowing the Ravens are going to try and exploit that matchup rather than uh, send him at J Jack Conklin, they'll put him against Jedrick. So the way you can neutralize that is simply running the ball away from Jedrick, run right, run behind your all-pro right tackle. Uh, I think that's a way to find success and take the pressure off Jedrick. Um, also, this is obvious, but avoid third and long. You, the, this team cannot get in third and long, or they're going to be in trouble. And, and I think Browns fans should be ready for if there are third and longs, this team's just going to run draw or a, a screen and just get and pump the football. There's no reason to put Jedrick on an island out there. And then Third, the, another way you can protect him is tight end and running back chip blocks. Uh, the Titans did this a lot against Jacksonville a year ago. And so just expect Austin Hooper, David Njoku, or Kareem Hunt to help Jedrick out there on the edges of, on maybe third and longs and second. And when they want to, you know, have intermediate passing game, I think that's how they can 
ease up his workload and we and the Browns can leave Sunday saying, you know, Jedrick had, had a solid game, even though it was more manufactured to protect him. Yeah, and then, you know, we, we've talked about Joe Thomas, but I think it's always important to remember with Jedrick that you can't expect him to just go out there and, and be Joe Thomas week one. It's going to take him a little bit of time uh, to really become that, that caliber of left tackle that, that you want out there. And he doesn't have to be Joe Thomas long-term. Joe Thomas is a first ballot Hall of Famer. You, you don't get many of those guys uh, over the course of a, of a franchise. So that, that's a very high bar uh, for Wills to have to live up to. Hey, let's See, talk about our favorite Mary, guy. Oh, go ahead, Mary Kay. I just wanted to make sure that, that everybody uh, in the room uh, knows exactly where to find the raise hand function. Uh, maybe we can just make sure once again that they know where that is. Even, you know, as long as you are clicking on participants, you should uh, look all the way over to your right. Does everybody, I mean, I, maybe everybody knows where to find it, but if this is your first time in the room, maybe not. I did, I did just uh, see somebody uh, throw up a raise hand, so we at least know it's working. <laughs> okay, and so, so it should, actually now I'm not seeing it over on, <laughs> on the side because I am a, uh, I am a administrator in the, in the room, but um, it should be on the far, far right under all the names. You should see it should say raise hand over there. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew where to find it. Right, so if you have a question, uh, throw up that raise hand uh, and, and let us know. If you're not seeing it for some reason, there are some buttons down there that you can click um, to put a, like, a little reaction up on your, on your icon that I'll be able to see. So uh, I, I can certainly come to you if I see one of those uh, as well. And actually we have someone that just raised their hands. Uh, we're going to go to Shannon. I'm going to ask you to unmute, and you can fire away with your question once you do that. Go ahead. Hello, everyone. Uh, I was curious. I sent a, a chat question a second ago, but I was curious to hear if there's been any more update on Greedy's actual injury, or do we just know it's still a shoulder, or, or do we know the seriousness of it yet or anything? Have you all heard anything on that? Mary Kay, you take that one. Yeah, I mean, it's been very, very mysterious because uh, Greedy Williams has really not been outside in the whole almost, I think, three weeks since we saw him walk off with the shoulder injury. And that's unusual because guys usually come outside and take their mental reps. I mean, we've seen Kevin Johnson out there taking mental reps. We've seen MJ Stewart out there taking mental reps. A couple of guys are inside getting their treatment uh, on their injuries, and Greedy has been one of those guys. I have asked and asked so many times about this shoulder injury, and I, I guess it's just kind of a, it's been a little bit of a mystery that I haven't been able to, to solve for the most part, but uh, it's something that is not gonna re going to require a surgery. They're trying to let it heal on its own, and I think part of the problem is there's not necessarily, I don't think, a specific diagnosis or name for it. He's had a lot of pain and issue in there, and they're, they're really working hard uh, to treat it without surgery. It was good to see him back outside today. Uh, he was on the bike. He was, he was out there taking some mental reps. And that bodes well for the future, but I still think he has a little ways to go. You know, I'll ask, I'll ask all of our, our panelists this about Greedy, because we talk a lot about Denzel Ward, obviously, on that one side. But, I mean, just how important is Greedy Williams to this team winning this year? And, and their success this year. Does he have to take that next step? Or, you know, somebody in the chat said they're fine with Terrence Mitchell playing. Terry, how important is Greedy? 
Well, if he's as important, if he's as good as John Dorsey thought he was, he's very important. Uh, the big thing with both of those guys, you know, they, remember they, was it last year they both had the hamstrings early in the season? And Denzel has a history of concussions. Uh, you need a whole bunch of good defensive backs. And the fact that, okay, just plug Mitchell in. But, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Mitchell broke his hand. This seems like these, a lot of these cornerbacks get hurt. You need a whole bunch of them. Um, I'm worried about the secondary just in general with the safeties and, and all this going on. So uh, I'd love to see him play well, but I'm with Mary Kay on this. That this something weird has been going on with him for quite a while. He's, he's been out uh, longer than you would expect, I think, if they're going to call somebody day to day, day by day. <laughs> Scott, I mean, what do you think? Is, is Greedy one of those guys on the, on the list of players that this team needs if, if they're going to win football games this year? Um, well, yeah, definitely this week, because even though the Ravens <laughs> run the ball a ton, they have three wide receivers on the field a lot, too. They like to spread it out. So, you know, you want all your good defensive backs available. Um, and Greedy, despite coming into the league with some questions about his tackling, he actually had a pretty good tackling year last year. Um, he did all right against the run. So having him out there is a big deal. I think overall, yeah, I mean, Terrence Mitchell is a great guy to have as, as, as a backup, and we're going to see a lot of him. Um, but like what Terry said, I mean, you, you draft that guy in the second round. He came with first-round expectations. Uh, you want to see him on the field because, if, you know, he missed so much time last year. If you're starting off this year – uh, missing time, then, and you have issues, and you have a lot of questions about is this guy durable enough to stay in this league? Right, Dur durability is extremely important at that position because those top two corners play almost every single snap of a game. Um, Ellis, what what did you see out of Greedy last year? What were your expectations? And, and look, this secondary, I'm with Terry. I'm a little nervous about this secondary in general. If you start losing bodies as they already have, I get even more nervous. Yeah, I'm very nervous, and here is. Here's why the Greedy Williams injury is comes at a really unfortunate time. This Browns defense needs to find out whether Denzel Ward or Greedy is or can become that true shutdown corner. If Joe Woods wants to play a single high cover three centric defense, think Richard Sherman, that cornerback that is capable of shutting down an entire half of the field is so prominent in that defense. And the reason the injury comes at such a bad time is now the Browns aren't going to be able to find that out as early as they'd like. It's about reps. It's about availability. And all they need is one of these corners to pop. So if it was going to be greedy, it's all right if Denzel Ward doesn't pan out to be as good as a first round, fourth overall pick should be. Now it's a lot more pressure on Denzel Ward because I'll tell you who isn't going to be that shutdown corner. It's, it's Terrence Mitchell in every corner behind him, most likely. We know what Terrence Mitchell is. Yes, he's a nice plug in and play guy, but he's not anyone who's going to put fear in an offense or an offensive coordinator at attacking him. So there's already a, tons of pressure on this Browns front seven, specifically Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon to pressure the quarterback. If either Denzel or Greedy can turn into a reliable, close to shutdown, if not shut down an entire third of the field corner, then this defense is going to be a lot better than we think. But if there's no one's really no fear in throwing deep on this team, it doesn't matter how good the front's going to be. It's going to be a tough year for the secondary. And with Greedy out, the question remains, is he capable of becoming that? And we're just going to have to keep waiting and eventually you're out of time. You know, I think that, that Greedy uh, had a year last year where they needed him to step it up this year. They, he was going to have to come in here and really pick up his game. His technique was off. 
uh, and uh, you know he had his rookie ups and downs. So I think that uh, you know Joe Woods was really looking forward to coaching him up, getting the most out of him, and this injury has been a huge setback. It's hard to lo- to lose almost all of training camp, and and to come in here and then try to catch back up and take your game up to that next level that they wanted him to do. I don't have those uh, P PFF rankings in front of me, but I think he was something like. 95 overall Scott do you have that inside why do I have that inside my head but he was somewhere uh way way down in the rankings in terms of starting cornerbacks not high enough by any stretch of the imagination uh so this this is a setback again I think Terrence Mitchell can fill in admirably for him and he certainly is going to need to against these super lightning fast receivers they're going against on Sunday Okay, you guys want to talk about my, my favorite guy on the entire roster to, uh, to talk about? Any, any guesses as, as to where we're going with this? There was a question in the chat room about my guy, David Njoku, and what we expect from him. Uh, you guys thought I was going with Kareem Hunt there, didn't you? I know Terry thought I was going to Kareem Hunt. Uh, we'll get there, Terry. Oh my God, did you get a cut of his extension since you are his, uh, his I'm, agent? I'm, I'm still looking for my 10%. Actually, I'm going to call it audible because we got a couple hands up. Well, you know, we'll, we'll answer the Njoku question because it was a chat question, not one that I came up with. But uh, quickly on Njoku, and then we'll get to these raised hands. Um, Terry, what is David Njoku's future here? Do we know? I have no clue. <laughs> no. I mean, right now, Harrison Bryant, like you said, he catches a bunch of balls. Hooper there. You know, maybe somebody gets hurt, but um, – and the thing that this – he's got a front office that wants him to make it. This is not like the usual, I want to get rid of the other guy's draft picks because Andrew Berry was part of the, the group that drafted him the first time. So uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in any of that. Yeah, I mean, that the emergence of Harrison Bryant is, is such a – it kind of complicates things. You know, Mary Kay, they, uh, they have expressed confidence in, in him in every step, and then he makes the trade request, and they end up not moving him. But it was just so bizarre after they picked up that fifth-year option. Uh, again, they decided not to trade him. It's just been strange with Njoku this offseason. Well, what happened was, uh, you know, he was actually in pretty good standing, and he was the number two tight end coming into training camp. And he was actually – he was doing okay. I mean, we, we saw him – drop some passes here and there. And there is no question that he needs to improve his hands and his consistency in that way. But they were still giving him a chance to be the number two and they were going to let Harrison Bryant work his way up. But then David Njoku started to suffer some soreness in his surgically repaired right wrist. And in the week or so that he was out, Harrison Bryant swooped in, took advantage of the opportunity and climbed into the number two spot. And now David Njoku is going to have to claw his way back up again because he's not there right now. Now, how will it play out on game day? You know, I mean, it might be a matchup situation. They might, uh, you know, they might use both of them. Uh, they might rotate in those guys at, at the number two and see, see who has the hot hand or see who comes through for them in the red zone and can score the football. Uh, but for now, David Njoku, and, and he is not going to be able uh, – Andrew Berry demonstrated this already. You can't go crying to get out of here. That's not, that's not going to cut it in, in this regime. Uh, Andrew Berry needs to establish that he's going to do business a certain way and, 
and David Njoku did not get his way. So I don't imagine that that's going to happen now or next week or a month from now. I think he's just going to have to take his medicine and prove himself in practice and when he gets limited opportunities on the field. Scott, where are you with Njoku? You know, the last time we saw him playing actual football, when they had, it was a week and a half ago, and they were at the stadium, and they were doing, uh, it was before the dress rehearsal, it was the week right. before that, and they actually had 11 on 11. He was on the second team, and first play was like a 60-some yard catch and run. Um, I think that's when we all first realized that he was on the second team all of a sudden, uh, and then by the end of that practice, he was catching passes from Baker Mayfield, and um, that's the last time we actually saw him playing and he looked good, you know, and it looked like he was like demoted and got his job back maybe all in one practice. Um, we don't know what's been going on in practice, you know, since then, but uh, he seemed to have kind of turned a corner there a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, it was a good way to kind of get that, you know, let everybody know that he can still catch the ball. He can still make plays. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a work in progress. I think like Mary Kay is right. It's going to be, uh, he's fighting with Harrison Bryant throughout the season to see who's that guy's lining up with, with Austin Hooper. And you know, we'll find out on Sunday who's the first guy to get that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Njoku. Um, but again, he's going to have to play well to keep that. Yeah, Ellis, I mean, it feels like every, I mean, at least, I don't know, for me every year, it's like you don't want to give up on David Njoku, but you're also waiting for him to just prove that you shouldn't give up on him. If you can see David Njoku, like, you're like, you got to give that guy a chance because just look at him. <laughs> right. He's just a freak of nature, and he's got to be able to do positive things on the football field. <laughs> well, 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 Scott, that's exactly it. He's electric when he gets the ball in his hands, but that's the problem, getting the ball in his hands. And I'm really skeptical about his future, both on this team and just overall in the league, if we're going to project him as a 10-year career type of tight end. I just don't see it. And for this, for this reason, catching the ball, catching the football is an innate skill. I believe it's the first thing we all learn how to do regardless of sport, really baseball, softball, I don't know, lacrosse. And of course, football, even basketball, you pass the ball back and forth. You learn how to catch the ball. It's a hand-eye coordination skill that I think you either have or you don't. Now, can you improve your catching skills? Of course, you can strengthen your hands. You can repetition i mean the great jerry rice they say used to catch bricks or whatever that folktale is maybe he did. i don't know I, that, that's always sounded a little crazy to me but the point is you can improve upon the catching but if you don't have the baseline to catch the ball in the first place i just don't trust you um i think back to his first game when he was activated I, it was a home game i think it might have been buffalo i can't remember though but uh he baker found him across the middle of course he's open ball's a little high but he needs to come down with it and he bobbled it and i think freddie ended up challenging the play and he didn't win it and that's the fear of having David Njoku out, out there because I'll tell you this with this Browns offense right now their margin for error is so low that if David Njoku drops a critical third down drops a touchdown I don't see Kevin Stefanski wasting much time in rolling him out of there if he is given a chance so uh, that was a, I guess a, a harsh way to respond to this David Njoku thing but I am just a stickler on catching the football because you do everything else right and you get there and you drop the football, what's the point? And I, I, I'm worried. What about thought too on this? And, and I, I'm not good and I haven't watched it up, but uh, what about his blocking? Isn't that going to be a big deal in the scheme and all that? Yeah, I mean, Scott, this is something I know you've been on when we, we've talked about him on our podcast. 
Yeah, I look back at how the Vikings uh, tight ends blocked and kind of compared that to how Austin Hooper and David Njoku have blocked in their careers. And it's very similar. And the Vikings were successful with that, that level. So I don't think that either of them needs to make a huge jump uh, in their ability to block it. Even, even though John Dorsey kind of called out Njoku at the combine a couple of years ago, the season go, that previous season, which was 2018, he, he was all right. Um, it might not have been what they wanted with that team at that point, but I think Kevin Stefanski can make it work with the guys that he has. You know, right. it should ahead, be noted real, really quickly um, that at that scrimmage where David Njoku was getting those opportunities, just a day or two before that, uh, I had watched Austin Hooper go down in practice uh, with a little bit of a, a dinged ankle. So I think he was not 100% healthy, and they kind of limited him in that scrimmage, and that opened the uh, the door for David Njoku to make that nice big catch and then also get a, a couple of first-team reps. All right. Uh, we're going to go to Noah. If you got the ask to unmute prompt, uh, go ahead and unmute. Uh, otherwise, there we go. Uh, Noah, go ahead. So I just want to know what you guys think will be the outcome on Sunday, and who do you guys think will end up calling the plays? Oh, the play calling mystery. That's the uh, that's been the topic of the off season. Who's going to end up doing that? Um, I'm I don't know. I guess for for no good reason, I keep leaning to Alex Van Pelt is, is going to end up as as the play caller. I wish I could give you a great reason for it, other than I don't think Kevin Stefanski is super tied to calling plays. That's just my, my gut instinct, my prediction. So it probably means it's going to be Stefanski. Uh, Mary Kay, what do you think? You know, I, I, I'm not really sure. It, it seems like Alex Van Pelt has, has done it for most of, you know, for most of training camp and any other little things that we've seen. Uh, so it seems like they're leaning that way. But I kind of think that, especially because it's going to be such a work in progress in the first four weeks of the season, the first quarter of the season, I think Kevin Stefanski should do it. I don't know if he will do it, but I think he should. I think he's got um, – he has a senior offensive assistant in Kevin Rogers that can help him manage other things during the game and take some things off of his plate. Uh, so I think that's okay. And I think that that will give Alex Van Pelt an opportunity to focus entirely on Baker Mayfield and make sure that uh, Baker's got a ha handle on things. So – I think it should be Kevin. Um, there are signs that it could be Alex. Not really sure he wouldn't tell us today, um, but that's what I would do. Anybody else? Who's got our, our play calling prediction? Who's got a bold play caller prediction? I think it's going to be Kevin because basically he was hired for his offense and hired for his play calling. And at his first NFL game, I think it would be very hard for him to say, I'm going to hand that off. Scott Ellis? Yeah, I got the impression that Stefanski was doing that during the dress rehearsal. Um, but I know that Alex Van Pelt was handling play calling prior to that uh, previous time when they were at the stadium. So, yeah, I wouldn't be – I'd be more, a little more surprised if it was Alex Van Pelt. I think Mary Kay makes a good point about giving Van Pelt that time to deal with Baker one-on-one -on -one and not having to worry about calling plays. Um, so that, that seems to make a little more sense to me. Ellis, you got a, a pick? Yeah, I've been saying Van Pelt since we've been talking about this, feels like since January. So I'm just going to keep riding that. I think Mary Kay makes a lot of good points, and it's probably a little foolish to 
not change how we feel about this, considering everything that has changed since the hire, but I'll keep riding with Van Pelt. Okay. There was one other part to that question too, and we're going to get into season predictions and, and things like that uh, a little bit later here, but we'll throw this out there. Browns Ravens uh, on Sunday, Noah was looking for an outcome. Uh, I'll just ask this. Do, do any of our panelists here believe that the Browns are going to be one and oh on Monday? Anyone? I'm withholding my prediction. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that for, uh, for Friday. Okay. That's fair. So we have a, an abstain, and it doesn't seem like anyone else is too eager to declare the Browns are, are going to be winners on, on Sunday. Okay, I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to go to Bud here, who's had his hand raised for a little bit. You should get a, an ask to unmute prompt. And once you do that, we should be good to go. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, just a, a quick question on the linebackers. I know they have them uh, named. But, but will the Browns use two or three linebackers, and what and who are they? Well, that's a good question. Uh, they will use three linebackers when they're in their base defense, which is a four-three defense. Uh, if they had all these three guys healthy, it would right now in the first game it would be Sione Taki Taki on the strong side, B.J. Goodson in the middle, and Mac Wilson on the weak side. Mac Wilson is out with a hyperextended knee, uh, so. Jacob Phillips or Tay Davis will probably rotate in there and maybe some Malcolm Smith. But when they're in sub-defenses, which they will be in a lot, the nickel and the dime, especially obviously when, uh, when the Ravens are in three wides and different things like that, um, they will have two linebackers on the field a lot of the time. I think B.J. Goodson uh, and Sione Takitaki right now, I think they're going to rotate those guys. I don't even think you can just say when it's two, it's going to be these two guys. I, I think that that's going to be, once again, a little bit of a work in progress. And I think it, it could change from week to week uh, from a matchup standpoint. Um, I think B.J. will be out there a lot when it's two linebackers. And I think the other guys right now are interchangeable until they figure out uh, who they really want out there. And that's going to be a big difference for B.J. Goodson. He's never been a guy who's played, you know, 100% of the snaps in games. He's done it like twice in his career. Um, he's usually uh, getting about half the work. So if he's going to be a three-down linebacker with the Browns, it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to that. Um, but I think you're right. You're going to probably see more guys rotated through there than we did last year. But there's definitely going to be two on the field more more of the time I think I think Woods has made that that pretty clear what they may do against the Ravens is go primarily with the two linebackers and have a defensive back kind of be a spy on uh, Lamar going everywhere with that now which guy that would be maybe it's Harrison the new guy somebody I guess that could tackle <laughs> hey Jermaine yeah, Whitehead had the game of his career in uh, week four last year when the Browns won and they had three safeties on the field most of the game it was Whitehead is a huge reason why they won that game. Who can and then Jermaine. things went south. <laughs> Who can forget the Jermaine Whitehead experience? Yeah. Uh, another, another person dying on Twitter. Uh, Ellis, when you look at Ronnie Harrison, I think that's an, in an interesting name to bring up because obviously we're talking about linebackers, but in the modern NFL and really with Joe Woods too, that extra safety kind of serves as that hybrid linebacker, hybrid safety. And I think that's why after Delpit went down, it was so important for this team to go out and find a guy like Harrison. Yeah, I wrote about him a couple of days ago on a, with a film review, and I, I regret something I said. I, I mentioned that I, 
getting him into the game plan this quickly, I thought would be challenging. And then I said, if he doesn't play Sunday, don't expect him Thursday. And just thinking about this out loud with all of you right now, I'm really realizing he needs to play. They're too thin and he's too talented not to be on the football field. Um, I liked a lot of the film I saw on him as a disruptor, as an assignment sound player, a guy who trusts his instincts. And he really might be the, the second best safety on this, on this team right now. And someone who can, you can trust to, I mean, not match Lamar Jackson's athleticism, but at least go out there and try and make a play. So I'd be surprised if he's not playing a lot either. And they just keep it um, really vanilla with him, uh, similar to how uh, the secondary did last year uh, against the Rams, I believe, when they were starting a whole backup unit of secondary. Uh, they brought a, one or two guys in and just played them right away. And you could do that. Keep the call simple, play zone, and just keep Lamar in front of you. I, I think he's going to be on the field a lot. Okay, another guy that uh, is getting asked about in the chat who I think is going to be on the field a lot, at least relative to his position, Andy Janovich. Are you guys ready for fullback season? Terry, are you a fullback guy? Yes, I'm a fullback guy. <laughs> I predict Ray Farmer would draft a fullback the year he drafted. I think it was Malcolm somebody or other from Mississippi. <laughs> and they watching them in the red zone inside the five-yard line. That is one of the more painful things of a painful season, almost as great as Odell returning that punt the San Francisco game. You know, it's like they couldn't run a play to get the ball in the end zone with Nick Chubb. And you just think if they had Janovich or one of these kind of old Lawrence Vickers from the old days, they'd have got it in. Well, you know, Nick Chubb is really, really excited uh, to run behind Andy, Andy Janovich, and he speaks very highly of him. So – that leads me to believe that he is going to be out there. They are going to use him, but you just have to wonder, uh, you know, how often they're going to be able to do that when you have a, a Kareem Hunt that you're also trying to get onto the football field. You know, I think he changes the game in terms of how often you want to be able to use a true traditional fullback uh, because Kareem can, can play that role as well at times and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So you create a lot of confusion about what you're trying to do there when you have Nick and Kareem on the field. So I would rather have, in most cases, Nick and Kareem out there than Nick and Andy or Kareem and Andy. Um, and then, you know, I don't know. I mean, they, there are times when they're even going to use three tight ends. So I don't know how often that they are going to use him, but again, Nick really likes him, and I think we will see him. Yeah, this is where having no preseason games really kind of stinks because for people who are trying to figure out what the Browns are going to look like this year, of course, I'm sure the coaches love it, but we, we don't really know. Uh, we didn't see Chubb and Hunt in the backfield at all during camp, um, and I can't imagine that that's not going to happen uh, on Sunday or at any time this season. You were going to see that. Um, I'm really uh, eager to see what kind of snap counts how those fall out uh, after this game, because you're right. You can't, you're not just going to have Chubb and, and Janovich or, or Hunt and Janovich. You're going to have, you know, Chubb and Hunt out there together. Cause we saw that that worked last year, um, but just not seeing it yet and not knowing exactly how that's going to work, you know, keeps the Ravens guessing too, I guess. Ellis, are you a fullback guy? Oh yeah. Give me all the, the fullback love out here. I mean, the Super Bowl when, um, uh, the, the Niners fullback, he's 
it's blanking on me now, but he, he scored uh, the first touchdown and it was just a beautifully designed play, a good 11 yard score. And that's the way Kevin's fancy is going to try and deploy his fullbacks here. Think of CJ Hamm in Minnesota. He played a Minnesota. You guys hear that? There you go. That's the first time I do that on the podcast, but um, he, he deployed CJ Hamm a lot. And I'm actually wondering how much we will see Hunt and Chubb on the field at the same time. You, you got to, one thing we, we tend to do is um, think that these coaches will empty their bag out in week one. And really these first four games are probably going to feel more preseason like than if they would look like a playoff game. So I don't think there's really anything wrong if Chubb and Hunt aren't on the field all that much together. And it is a traditional fullback with either running back and just let this offense grow as the season goes on. I understand being impatient and wanting to win now, win now, win now, but um, to em- to show your best plays with your two best players in week one it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think Stefanski's aware of that. Hughes check, Kyle Hughes check. There you go. Got it. Yes. <laughs> a guy who was, uh, has always popped up on the Browns radar every now and again, uh, a local guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. Let's do, uh, let's do some predictions here. Let's get to it. Let's just start with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I don't know if everyone here has posted their predictions yet. You know, this is life in the Zoom era. I prepped all these polls to put up for all of you to take polls. I put them in the system. They were ready to go. And I'm hitting the poll screen and I'm getting an error message that I'm logged in from another device and my polling session is inactive. I have no idea what that means, but unfortunately we don't get to have you guys take polls here. There are some reaction buttons though, if you, if you wanna hit those when you hear our predictions. Um, I'll, I'll go first. My, my post went up today, I believe. Um, I said eight and eight for the Browns, which is about the most boring vanilla prediction you could have. Noah W has a clap, uh, a clap emoji up for that one. Um, I, I think eight and eight, and I think that's okay. If this team is eight and eight at the end of the season, I'm all right with that. That means you were in contention for most of the year with seven playoff spots. Um, I'm fine with eight and eight. Terry, have you made your prediction yet? Well, you ought to go and take mine first. Yes, <laughs> See, that's why I went first. Um, yes, and especially I want to see how the first eight games look compared to the second eight. Because uh, I really expect a lot of progress to be made. Uh, and as I wrote a column today, uh, I just don't want there to be a bar- an embarrassing football team. I mean, just got so tired of all the penalties and all the drama and all that garbage. Well, it's supposed to be smart, tough, accountable. Remember that. I kept hearing that over and over again. Well, let's see what it looks like. Um, and so they are that, and they go eight and eight. Um, at least that will be progress. And you're not sitting there going, oh, they got to get another quarterback. Um, in the chat, Bud has said nine and seven. Uh, Roman, I hope I'm saying that right, 10 and six. Uh, Jason says he hates himself for this, but seven and nine. Uh, is that the Jason sitting there in the Nick Chubb jersey who, uh, who sent that one in? Uh, Joseph, nine and seven and a wild card win. And, and Tom Bates is on board uh, with the eight and eight. Mary Kay, what, uh, what's your pick? You know what? I, I keep going back and forth. Heading into this whole thing, heading into camp uh, or heading into to COVID, probably before COVID, uh, I would have thought this, w- this team should go nine and seven. And I've been saying that all along. That's where the bar should be set this year. I think that the Cleveland Browns need to go nine and seven. They need to grab one of those wild card spots and they need to win a playoff game. But then I watch this football team every single day in camp. And I see that it is, it's going a little slower than of course, anybody ever thought that it should. 
Baker Mayfield's taking a little bit of time to learn new footwork, new terminology, new players, find some touch on the ball. Dan and I were talking about this a little bit er earlier today. This, you know, shorter passing game, the West Coast scheme, he's going to have to learn to put a little bit of touch on the ball, to not nail it every single time, to not overthrow everybody. Uh, he's going to have to find his rhythm that way. Uh, so I have concerns about them being able to win nine games, although I think the schedule is so much easier than last year, depending on how Ben Roethlisberger is this year, depending on how Joe Burrow is. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel confident about nine and seven anymore. I think we're all burned from last year too, a little skittish. Um, so I, I'm feeling eight and eight a little bit more than I am nine and seven right now. But I haven't really sort of written my why I think the Browns are going to go what and what. So I'm, I don't want to be held to it tonight. It's going to be one of those two. Scott, did you ever get those batteries back to finish your prediction? No, those double A's, man, they're hot commodities in my house. Like, they're here, then they're gone. Um, I, I said nine and seven with my super scientific uh, method. It just sounds, I mean... It sounds about right. I put up a poll today and, and nine and seven was, was leading 10 and six was second and eight and eight. So everything I found and even, even national sites that are predicting uh, records at this point, it's, it's always between seven and nine and nine and seven. Like that's pretty much where the, the standard expectation is for the Browns this year. Um, but if you go nine and seven, then you're probably putting yourself in a position to be in a, some sort of tiebreaker for a wild card spot. Cause there is, that extra spot this year for the playoffs. So, you know, nine and seven in, in previous years, maybe didn't sound so great, but nine and seven this year could get you in the playoffs. And, you know, from there, anything can happen. Just get in the tournament. Ellis. Yeah, I was, I was that eight and eight before we saw a lot of choppy practices before we saw a lot of important injuries on defense and that'll drop me down to seven and nine. I, I really agree with Terry that optics matter, but, you can't have games like at Arizona uh, in San Francisco or even at Cincinnati last year. You, you can't lose like that. Be a Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> be a competitive. I was going to say, yeah, be a competitive road team, but of course don't get embarrassed at home. Those types of things are really important. And furthermore on the eight and eight, uh, when I wrote about Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, uh, being the focal point of this offense, there's data that backs up that if the Browns attempt to lead the league in rushing attempts, they can find a way to an eight and eight season. And that would make Browns history for a first year head coach since the Haslam's bought the team. But again, because of the injuries, because of the choppy practice we've seen, and, and of course that scrimmage, it, it's seven and nine for me with the back half of the season looking a lot better. And the optics really, I know no one wants to hear moral victories, but considering everything Kevin Stefanski's had thrown at him, the optics of these games really, really matter. We're also okay. negative. <laughs> well, yep. by the way, my friend uh, Mike was here, but it's handing me notes because he knows more cool. people than I do. And it, the, you got that's part of the reason being a good journalist. Go to somebody smarter. He played it. I didn't. He says so Stefanski goes nine and seven, and here's the note: He should be coach of the year, Scott. Wow. So in other words, Mike is in your camp, Ellis. <laughs> it'd be hey it'd be history it'd be history so. <laughs> at least okay. he'll get probably now now we're gonna white knuckle it a little bit here we're gonna wing it because i'm gonna put everybody on the spot we're gonna go through and make division predictions that uh 
I don't know if any of us are actually ready to make, but the games start tomorrow. So we've got to at least throw out some sort of prediction. So all we need is a team and like one sentence why. And let's just start in the Browns division. That's at least in theory, the division that we know best. So the AFC North, uh, who wants to go first? Who's got one? I'll go first. Harry Kay? You know, I've, I've been studying up on the Ravens this week a little bit. They've improved in a lot of ways. They had a good draft. Uh, again, they have lightning quick receivers that can fly. Uh, their run game finished first in the NFL last year. They were like very way high up there in, in points scored as well. Uh, maybe even first in that. Um, and I just think that this is a really, really good football team again. They've added to the defense, Calais Campbell and some other guys to the defense. And uh, I just think they're going to be really tough to beat. I have them at 12 and four. You came in with a record. Wow. See, I, <laughs> I just, you've already beaten all of us. Right. <laughs> I kind of, I really wanted to go a different direction here, but I just think this off season really favors Baltimore. And it's just hard for me to not pick them. I, I Part of me, look, I'd love to get crazy and pick the Browns, but a part of me maybe wanted to pick, pick Pittsburgh with Big Ben back. Uh, but I just think everything favors Baltimore to be really good this year, so I'm going Baltimore. Yeah, I'm going Baltimore, too. They have one of the easiest schedules in the, in the uh, league. Yeah, we'll go by strength of schedule, so it seems to be an easy pick. Ellis and Terry? Same way there was silence when they asked how the how – the, uh, Rounds of doing Baltimore while they win. Well, it's the same thing as anybody not picking Baltimore to win a division. So that would be <laughs> Yeah. Ellis, are you not picking Baltimore to win the division? You ready? Watch this. Browns fans won't like this, but I'm picking the Steelers. You know, I'm not yeah. from around here, so meh, that's, that's fine with me. Yeah, but here's why. Mike Tomlin probably should have been coach of the year last year. Uh, Browns fans saw what Duck Hodges could do, and it was a whole lot of nothing. Yet that was one of the better football teams in the league, considering what they had, that defense is only getting better. I'm not buying the Big Ben butterflies. I'm going to be so nervous stuff. It reminded me of that quote he had a few years ago after a five-pick game, like, oh, maybe I'm washed. He, he just likes doing that dance. I, I think he, he comes back. He looks like a Hall of Famer. Juju Smith-Schuster has a bounce back year. James Conner. And they become the one last kind of hurrah of the, the Steelers of old. Repeating in their division is tough and doing it three times is even harder I wrote a story a while ago about a Ravens regression that's just naturally going to happen I believe so give me the Steelers it'll be a close uh, finish you know one of those games will come down uh, you know towards the final end of the season like it usually does in this division but give me the Steelers and Big Ben all right one of the more interesting divisions this year which has not been a very interesting division for forever uh, the AFC East Mary Kay yeah, this was a tough one. I went back and forth a little bit. You know, you can never put anything past Bill Belichick, now Cam Newton. Uh, but you know what? I think I'm going to go with the Bills, uh, winning a tiebreaker at 9-7. and seven. I'm going to go – you know what? I'm sticking New England. Bill Belichick and Cam Newton revenge tour. I'm going to say – and I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on the Bills just yet. So I, I say somehow – Bill Belichick and Cam Newton prove everybody wrong and, and manage to win. Maybe not a great AFC East. I'm with Dan. Until Belichick quits, they, they keep winning. I'm going to go with the Bills because I have no faith in Cam Newton anymore. 
Yeah, give, give me uh, the Patriots. I'm not betting against Bill Belichick, and you'll find out later that I'm not betting against Tom Brady. <laughs> Spoiler alert. AFC West. This is the, the Terry Pluto method here that you just suggested, and I think we should just go with it. Who's not picking the Chiefs? Anyone? All right. Kansas City across the board in the AFC West. Uh, the AFC South, this one gets interesting. We've got uh, – this one is always up for grabs, and there's some legit contenders in this group. I am going to have some fun here and pick Indianapolis. Phil Rivers bounce back here. Yeah. Dan, you do it again to me. <laughs> First you take eight and eight. Now you take Indianapolis with Rivers, so that's me. I'm a Chris Ballard believer. I just have to follow Dan. That's all there's to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Mike Rabel believer, so I'm going Titans 10 and 6. Yeah, I'm going with the Texans. I don't. I, the Titans, I think, are going to fall off, and uh, we don't know what the Colts are going to do with with a different quarterback situation. I think, it, I think the, the Texans, it's theirs to lose. Yeah, what, after what feels like a decade of Thursday night football banishment, this division actually seems fun this year. Give me the Titans. They deserve that respect. Uh, Rabel's been building something, like Mary Kay said, and they're going to win the division this year. All right, going over to the other side, the NFC East. Terry, I'll let you go first. I don't want to steal yours. We're going to Philadelphia just because I hate the Cowboys and Jerry Jones. How's that? All right. And the Cowboys do mess up. They just do. Well, Terry, because of that, I'm going to go with Dallas. Good. <laughs> You'll be wrong, but you went with Dallas. Who else do we have? I've got Dallas. Ten and six. They're going ten and six. Okay, has the records. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much the Eagles or the Cowboys, right? So I, I think I'm just going with the Eagles. No reason in particular. <laughs> Ellis? Yeah, yeah, give me Dallas. Cross the board. That, that, that's what it's looking like. Dak Prescott, uh, MVP candidate. All right. The, uh, the Browns' sister division, the NFC North. You know, the Lions are getting a little love here nationally. Some folks getting on the Matthew Stafford bandwagon. Um, you know, again, why not? Let's have some fun. Detroit Lions, we're going to hear that that song after they score in the playoffs in an empty stadium, we're going to hear that guy singing that Detroit Lions fight song. I'm going to go with the, I'm going with the Vikings, you know, I mean, they lost Kevin Stefanski, but they kept Gary Kubiak. And I think uh, Kubiak and, and Zimmer and Kirk Cousins, they're, they're still going to be rolling along. So I used to have the Vikings 10 and six. I'm picking Green Bay, but I'm not sure why other than they have Aaron Rodgers. I'll go with the Vikings. I think they're going to prove that they didn't need Kevin Stefanski at all. <laughs> Ellis? Yeah, give me the Vikings. Uh, the Packers drafted nine players in the 2020 draft. Only one is listed as a backup. The rest are third stringers. They're not repeating as division champs. So give me the Vikes, and it might sound like a homer pick, but I just gave you a stat to back it up, so there you go. <laughs> all right, fair, fair enough. Uh, I can't believe nobody else picked Detroit. I will take victory laps over Detroit uh, if they win that division, but I will not mention that pick if they go 5-11, and 11, which is actually probably more likely. All right, Ellis, you kind of spoiled it, so we'll let you go first, the NFC South. Yeah, hey, look, I've learned don't bet against Tom Brady, don't bet against Bill Belichick, and don't bet against LeBron James. And until he's out of the league, I'm going to keep going with that. So give me the bucks. They're loaded across the board. And in a season where no one has time to learn their offense, I think it evens the playing field and the Bucks win that division. 
I got Fox, 10 to six, ten and six. Tom Brady, Bruce right. Arians, one of my faves. Scott? The reason, by the way, that you said, uh, don't, you know, the division, all that. That's why I'm going with New Orleans, because they have the continuity with Breeze and uh, Peyton and so on. Uh, man, I'll go with the Buccaneers. I think uh, Tom Brady just stepped into a really good situation. I think it's going to work. I want to be different and pick, like, the Falcons. But I think I'm actually going to go with the Saints. I'm going to, I'm going to follow uh, Terry's lead here. And I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. So, see, Terry, I'll let you go first on that one. Thank you. you should <laughs> last, last one here, the, uh, the NFC West. Again, always kind of a crazy division. Uh, you've got San Francisco. You've got the Rams. You've got the Cardinals, who are kind of an up-and-comer. Uh, and then, of course, you have the defending NFC champ. I already said the 49ers, didn't I? The Seahawks are also in that division. Uh, man, this is a tough one. I'll, I'll let you guys go first on this. I think I knew who I'm going to pick, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. I'll go. I'll go. You know, I, I, I'm a big, huge believer in Kyle Shanahan, so I'm, I'm going to go with the 49ers again. I'm going 11-5. and five. I'm with Mary Kay. I'll even take the record. <laughs> Allison Scott? Yeah, I'm going with the Niners, too. I'm going Seahawks, much like Dak Prescott, uh, MVP year. I think Russell Wilson finally has a real chance to grab his. So between those two teams, I think uh, those divisions are up for grabbing. We see some change. Yeah, that's such a, a tough def- – I, I think any team in that division could, could win it. Arizona is obviously the longest shot. But any team, I think, could maybe get hot and, and win that division. I think I'm going to follow Ellis's lead, though. I think Seattle's ready for a, a breakout year. And, again, we talked about stability. That's a team with – at least some level of stability from a coaching standpoint and, and all of that quarterback. Um, I, I like, uh, I think I like Seattle winning that. See guys, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> all right. There you have it. Our picks, our Browns picks, uh, our little season preview here. We always appreciate everyone who jumps on these zoom calls with us, especially in this case where it was kind of late notice. Uh, so we're happy that, that a lot of you were able to jump on. And of course we appreciate you all subscribing to Football Insider really does mean a lot to us. And we love texting with you guys and interacting with all of you. And if you missed it, by the way, earlier I did send out, uh, we're doing a picks pod that's going to post on Fridays. Uh, If you're around on Thursdays and you want to pick games, we're going to have one of our Football Insider subscribers on every week to uh, to pick games with. I think it's going to be me, Ellis, and Doug. And Mary Kay and Scott might hop on. Maybe we'll convince Terry to hop on too. Who knows? But uh, keep an eye out for for texts about that uh, in the future. So, Uh, Thanks to all of our panelists for jumping on. Thanks to all of you for listening. uh, I'm going to end this meeting now. Talk to you all later.